Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Saturday night on the circle on 93 WIBC. Hello, Indianapolis. Welcome back to another edition of Saturday Night on the Circle, where there's so much news to cover. Abysmal performance in the two mayors' debates this week, but at least Republicans have rebounded nationally and have finally elected a new speaker. We'll get into that, plus uh, the mayor's debate performance in this first segment. But before I I cover any of that, oh, by the way, producer Mark is uh, in the chair, filling in, helping producer Gary run things, and we uh, appreciate your hard work. Um, While I was preparing for the show, though, I totally missed the good news until I just heard it in the hallway. As of this afternoon, Mike Pence has suspended his campaign. Just couldn't sit this one out. Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me. This is not my time. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. How humiliating must it be for Mike Pence to have not even reached the meager requirements to uh, uh, participate in the next Republican debate? Send yet another abysmal failure in the career of this nobody. So I'm elated to see it. And I just wanted to start the show off with an aside in celebration. But really, I wanted to delve into the performance on the mayor's debate, where unfortunately it was abysmal. We have absolutely no good choices in the election for mayor jefferson shreve if you thought he was backing off of that uh, anti-gun stance anti-second amendment stance that he uh, opened his campaign with after winning the primary you're wrong he's still intent on uh, 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 on asking petitioning the general assembly to give him authority that he understands he doesn't have you, you've both proposed policies that would require state lawmakers to change some laws to allow them to take effect here at the local level. So, Mr. Shreve, 30 seconds here in, in this follow-up question. You've promised you'll try to work with lawmakers at the state house, but how do you plan to achieve that and get lawmakers to go along with some of the position, positions that you just laid out when it comes Good to question. Well, the mayor has to recognize the reality of the way the state is organized constitutionally, and there is that preemption element that exists. And so it's, it's not helpful to put forward uh, an ordinance that doesn't have the effective law that is overridden by the state's preemption requirement. And so you do that by prioritizing those elements to give Indianapolis uh, those controls that are specific to our challenges in Marion County, put them at the top of your legislative priorities package and go into the start of the session to lobby for them. No, God, no, God, please, no, 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 no. 
So Jefferson Shreve just told you there in no uncertain terms, the only difference between Hogsett's policy and his policy is that he would get to it a lot sooner and work a lot faster and a lot harder to petition the General Assembly to give him the authority to ban your firearms here in Marion County, which is a far-fetched proposal at best, but certainly not going to happen in the deeply red Republican uh, state of Indiana, which is what makes this policy proposal all the more absurd and ridiculous and Jefferson Shreve is a clown and you shouldn't vote for him. Um, Dan Spieler asking the question outrightly on Thursday evening that we all wanted to hear where was Joe Hogg set during the 2020 riots. Uh, another question here from a viewer, and it's a topic that we've heard from a lot of our viewers talking about the social justice protests that descended into riots in downtown Indy in 2020. That violence left businesses and some public infrastructure damaged. Mayor Hogg sent several viewers, including Chris Walden, submitted questions asking what you were doing during the unrest in 2020. has had the temerity to put to Joe Hogsett since the riots happened in 2020. And we got it not once, but twice. Two glorious nights, Monday and Thursday, started off by Phil Sanchez and finished off by Dan Spieler, leaving us breathless. Naturally, Joe Hogs not lied his way through the answer, claiming that he had been working the whole weekend. He, he was just in the office, you see. I worked all weekend long, Monday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Sometimes that was at home. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I thought that Phil Sanchez's question was specifically directed toward where I was on Friday night, which was working at home. But I came into the office, worked at the, on the 25th floor literally all day Saturday, <laughs> meeting with groups of not only protesters, but also law enforcement officials. Uh, I was uh, over at the emergency operations headquarters on several occasions. I was holding press conferences to help the public understand what was happening and why it was happening. You're a liar. You're a liar! You know something that you're not telling us, you slimy scumbag liar! At every step, the city has stymied efforts to request for transparency on that evening. Hogsett, to this date, will not provide um, uh, the receipts, as it were, for where he was the first evening of the riots. But more insultingly, and of course, don't let Jefferson Shreve get away with the fact that he let him go. He completely scot-free, didn't press him on this. Such a spineless coward, uh, pure pusillanimous little weasel uh, who made his way up onto the debate stage and then let Hogsnot go with these terrible whoppers, one more insulting than the last, uh, each more insulting than the last, I should say, including when he claimed that the call of uh, asking the cops to back off the protesters actually improved the situation on uh, the first night of the riots. It's important to underscore as well, um, no one was ever ordered to stand aside. That simply did not happen. Were orders given to stand back and give the uh, protesters some room? Uh, I believe they were, and I think it, for the time being, helped the situation. Oh my God. Am I evil? Am I like, am I an evil person? 
Oh my God. I mean, absolutely. Do I not tell you that enough? You are like the most evil guy I know, man. Welcome to the situation. I was downtown doing this show while the riots were unfolding, and I can tell you that it was far from under control. It didn't help a damn thing. So for Hawks not to make these lies and then get away with it because Shreve didn't call on him or call him on it is absolutely obscene. But at least the media finally, finally asked the question during the debate of where he was. And we heard the lies uh, that that are now on tape. Uh, Jefferson Shreve, of course, so spineless, there was actually a moment where he had to be given permission by the moderators to finish his damn thought. Housing, whether it's 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 modestly priced workforce housing or premium housing or single family housing, the process is unpredictable. It is too slow. I wrestled with a PEDCOR development on a, a multifamily project just off of 465 and 31 that still hasn't come out of the ground. That's been in the works for three years. Two chicks and a hammer were in my district. Re- you you can finish your thought Re- briefly. Re- sorry. Cause I'd rather spend eternity eating shards of broken glass than spend one more minute with you. If you had any doubts of how you should vote in the upcoming election, certainly don't support Joe Hogsnot. He doesn't deserve to have anybody vote for him, although likely he will have a significant portion of Marion County. Continue to endorse his candidacy for mayor precisely because Jefferson Shreve stands for nothing. And you saw it there. He's so spineless. He can't even finish his thoughts without being given permission by the moderators, like, sure, don't grandstand, but at least finish the sentence, my guy. But he lacks basic leadership capability. He doesn't understand the Second Amendment. He doesn't understand the First Amendment. He doesn't understand the powers granted to him as mayor or how the office functions. And he doesn't have a voice. He doesn't have leadership. He doesn't have the ability to call bullcrap when it's set on a plate in front of him. So he doesn't have the qualifications to be mayor, in my estimation. And at one point, I was I was getting ready to feel bad on standing standing on principle and marching into that voting booth and then writing in a, thir- a third party candidate and in my, in my case Abdul Shabazz because I think he should have won the primary and would have performed better had he obtained the nomination um, but Jefferson Shreve doesn't deserve de- doesn't deserve your vote he doesn't deserve my vote I'm not voting for him and I would encourage you not to reward the disgraceful uh, behavior of the Marion County Republican Party and the knuckleheads uh, who have who have been running the Jefferson Shreve campaign. We got a lot more to uh, get into. We'll also be inviting a uh, guest, Tony Kinnett on the show and Rob Kendall, Tony Kinnett joining us next to discuss really absurd policies coming out of uh, Oregon and also the failure of the liberal education system ran in Baltimore, Maryland. All of that coming up next. Don't miss a moment of Saturday night on the circle. Listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. 
Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your Bohemian Codger, Ethan Hatcher. Thank you for listening. Catch our podcast uploaded to WIBC.com and Saturday Night on the Circle.fireside.fm. In a policy so ludicrous it could scarcely be fathomed, the state of Oregon has suspended their reading, writing, and arithmetic requirements for graduation through at least 2028 on the grounds that such requirements are racist and discriminatory against minorities. Here to help us unpack and untangle this sordid story is the education policy expert and intrepid investigative reporter from the Daily Signal, and he's launching a weeknight show here on WIBC next month. The fantabulous Tony Kennett joins us once again. What's going on, Ethan? Oh, not a lot, Tony. Just staying busy and really hard, finding it difficult to wrap my mind around the policy decisions of the Oregon State Board of Education, who has deemed it necessary to suspend the reading, writing, and arithmetic requirements, the core academic curriculum requirements through at least 2028, which have been in place since 2020, since COVID. Explain to us the thinking here, why they are claiming that such requirements are discriminatory against minority students? I'm sorry? It's it's called, the idea, to hop in the mind of those who believe in racial equity for just a moment, here's the idea. The idea is that from the moment a black or brown person, and of course there's like 30 different cultures that fit into the brown category, but they never talk about that. The minute a black or brown person is born, they are hit with this string of negative psychological feedback loops where they always, uh, I guess culture makes them feel inferior to, they say that it's white people and Asian people and Jewish people, and and again, that definition also changes as to what white gets to be. But basically, the idea is that there are all of these arbitrary standards. They consider reading, writing, and math are arbitrary white standards. Oh, that's arbitrary. Yeah, arbitrary. As the Smithsonian Institute actually put it in some anti-racism training back in 2002, the idea was that all of these things are bad because white people have basically created these standards so that black people and brown people cannot meet those standards, like a, like a power play. So then you have these equity individuals that will say, well, then we should remove these arbitrary standards from big moments that mean a lot to people, like graduation. Because they say if you know, a student isn't able to graduate, then that means they're more likely to go to prison because people that go to prison you know, in crimes right after high school didn't graduate. So they're taking correlation and making it causation. And they basically funnel all of this down to say, well, if black and brown people are more likely to go to prison in the United States and not graduating is a big factor in whether you go to jail, therefore it must be racist to make black and brown people not graduate due to a standard like reading or writing. Holy crap, Tony. So you're telling me these people actually think in terms of like Wizard of Oz, the 1930s movie where they hand Scarecrow a diploma and suddenly he knows you know, E equals MC squared. He knows advanced physics and uh, uh, high arithmetic. So they think just by handing these people a diploma, arbitrarily without any standard or requirement that will prevent them from being targeted by law enforcement this is is exactly what they're suggesting because they say if they have a diploma then they're more likely to get a good job if they're more likely to get a good job because they have the diploma then they're more likely to live in a neighborhood that isn't going to tempt them with all of the evils of whatever and again this is where the environmental racism argument comes into play that they're that you know if a, a black individual lives in a neighborhood that doesn't have access to like a fresh time grocery 
grocery store, <laughs> then that means that they're going to be fat and unhappy. Like everything hinges around this idea. Again, this is the tenet of critical race theory. Every aspect of American society is predicated on interactions of white supremacy and racial hierarchy. That is all of what this is built on. And what they don't understand, and they've never been able to understand, is that first of all, race is not the greatest common denominator. It's, it's how many parents you have in the home. Number two, they don't understand that when you remove standards, even the teachers that were trying, and a lot of teachers are trying with these kids, they stop trying. Because why would you try to meet a standard if you're a standard that doesn't exist anymore? (laughs) Right. Again, corporate offices found this out after COVID. They're like, okay, the offices are back open. You can come in if you want to. And they found that like 19 out of 20 employees and like 100% of employees under the age of 45 chose to stay home every time. Why? Because once you remove the standard, it's gone. It's gone permanently. Liberals are decimating our education system, and it's not just Oregon. It's also Maryland, the city of Baltimore, where 13 of the city's high schools are uh, failing to pass a single student at proficient at math. This is absurd, and here's a clip from Fox News talking about it. One community activist in Baltimore describing this, quote, as educational homicide, and some are now calling for the resignation of the school system's CEO. Our affiliate obtained the unredacted 2023 test scores for every school in Baltimore City. This is the list of the 13 high schools with zero students who tested proficient in math. That is 40% of Baltimore's public high schools. The story doesn't end there. At Baltimore's top five public high schools in math proficiency, only 92 students tested proficient out of 809. So at the best public (laughs) high schools in that city, just 11.4% of students are proficient in math, and that is just proficient. Only 82 out of 109 at the school at the best institutions in the city of Baltimore. Tony, what is happening to our children? They're being failed by these liberals who've taken control of the academia. And this is going to screw up the system for years, for years. And, and again, these are the individuals that, that refuse to realize that with, with kids, <laughs> you genuinely do have situations in which you really only do have one or two shots with these kids. And as, as soon as you've wasted that chance, it's it's gone. And and there is irreparable damage that yes. is being done, and and further amounts of kids that are being put at risk. And, and look, we we can talk about yes, we all know that the liberals are failing the education system. It, it's evident. The problem is, but they're creating the they're is, creating the racism that they're claiming to combat by failing to provide educational standards for these students. They are going to leave them in an environment where it's inevitable many of them will fail and languish in poverty and suffer the natural consequences of not being able to function at a generally proficient level in basic reading, writing, and arithmetic. This is sad, Tony, and they're creating the situation they claim to despise. It's disgusting. Uh, of course, and, and of course it is. And, and this is something that in, that in education reform, we've known this for years. And we've said this for years. And people told us for years that what we said was happening wasn't happening and that it was actually going to be fine. And there are articles that are written about the Oregon situation that, like from the AP, the Associated Press has reported, we don't know how this is going to work out. Bull. Actually, we do. Because just a few years ago, in 2020, Ohio did the exact same thing. And Ohio, after removing a lot of those graduation requirements, has found English and math scores falling so rapidly that the actual Federal Department of Education, who is responsible for a lot of this garbage, by the way, is starting to get concerned. That's how bad it is in Ohio. We already know the results. We already know, but but the left still, oh, we don't know if this bold new strategy is going to work. Yes, you do. 
you, you already know the answers to this. Why, that's why there's such outrage over these decisions. How would you expect any other result by taking away basic standards than letting these children fail? That's going to be the inevitable consequence of a very predictable strategy. Of course, you're so right. They know, which is why it's so insidious and, and dare I say, evil. <laughs> Well, again, this is the entire decolonization Marxism perspective, is that if the West is bad, comma, every single facet of Western society is bad. And again, as I pointed out through all the racial equity trainings, they say things that are white mm-hmm. include things like punctuality and, and uh, relying on the, the written word. That means like facts and data, viewing things in black and white, et cetera. Those things are what make up academic standards. Yeah, that was a, so, a recent release from the Smithsonian, which you had mentioned something uh, back in 2002 that they did. It was a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2020, 2021, thereabouts, where they released a similar pamphlet, one of which elucidated just what you were talking about, that, you know, things like basic grammar, punctuality, respect for authority were somehow right. inherently white, which is a racist concept that was being... And by the way, this, is, this, is, this was part of my racial training at Indianapolis Public Schools. This is what Dr. Patricia Payne holistically believes in. Yeah. When I say that she's a deeply evil woman, that's what I'm citing, because she is perpetrating this junk on students, and the students are going to have to pay a lifetime of failure because of her. Patricia Payne's going to be dead in a few years. She's old. She's done. She's done her life's work. But the evil that she is perpetuating right now by promoting these standards in Indianapolis public schools and that Superintendent Alicia Johnson is promoting in that school system and that the other schools around the state that are following after this racial equity dynamic is promoting is doing lifelong damage to children. They're not going to have to pay. They already can read. They can write. They actually met the standards that were set by society for them, but they are taking away the opportunity of young children of any color to attain those standards. And it's going to be that that blood of lifelong failure is already painted on their hands in multiple coats. I didn't come up with the phrase, but it's very apt and it's so pernicious. The soft racism of low expectations and it's abundant. bigotry. Yeah. Well, the, the soft bigotry, soft racism of, of low expectations, it's abundant in uh, in our current academic setup. And one story that I wanted to touch on before we wrap the segment up uh, that that is a perfect, perfectly illustrative of that Salt Lake City's um, city high schools are going to install weapon detectors um, for their public high schools. And now parents are questioning the installation as potentially targeting minority students, which is which which is a baffling assumption for them to make, much like simple graduation requirements and basic standards somehow being unfair to minorities is in and of itself a racist concept. Very much so. It's deeply, and it's it's easy to point out. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's very easy to point out in, in one simple conversation. You ask this to the people who are creating the metal detector system. Are all students, <laughs> regardless of color, going to have to walk through the metal detector? Right. And the answer is yes. Yes. So then, therefore, you're asking, well, then how would it be How would it be racist? They are assuming that because black kids must get in trouble more, therefore, they assume that black and minority students are going to be pulling guns into the schools, which, again, is very deeply racist. I don't look at a child and based on their skin color, assume things about their character or their behavior. But the left does. The left immediately guesses. And my my old boss, Bobby Sargent, told me this very directly. She was the science and math coordinator at IPS. She would tell me this very overtly, that when she sees a black student in a black math class, that she has to wonder whether that student has been institutionally discriminated against because of their color. 
She doesn't look at like the, the test scores of the student, doesn't look at the ability, immediately goes to, and this I, I will never forget this conversation, her mind immediately goes to, what barriers does this student face because of his color? Are it's you serious? The- Right, and they start. How demeaning! Right, because they start making assumptions about people's entire character and lives on nothing but their color, and that's uh, identity politics in a nutshell. And it's what makes very, it so it's repugnant? The very idea behind all of the surprise. Yep. When, when, when. Oh, this black person. This, remember what Biden said about Obama? Wow, he's so articulate. <laughs> he's so <laughs> clean. Oh my God! What, what a, a shock. horrible thing to say. Right. Well, Biden, of course, has said many horrible things in his lifetime. Unfortunately, many of them were caught on camera and we can replay them at will. Unfortunately, we got to cut it short, uh, Tony Kennett. But thanks for uh, joining us in in studio for a conversation. As always, it was enlightening, sir. Thanks for having me on and the uh, continual depression of this country's (laughs) education system. (laughs) Well, we can laugh uh, at the decline. You got to find a silver lining somewhere. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more on 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle, where this week the administration continues to spread shame as this time they claim the biggest victims of Hamas attack on Israel are in fact the Muslim communities and no credible uh, threats exist to the Jewish people in an unbelievably tone-deaf statement. You'll also hear how much contempt members of Congress have for you between Jamal Bowman, uh, the insurrectionist, or Sheila Jackson Lee, an unpleasant uh, uh, turd. You'll hear it all on this week's edition of Hat Tricks with Hatcher. It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. We're on your host, Ethan Hatcher. And producer Gary is pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We appreciate your work, Gary. Beginning the segment with uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre. Ah! <laughs> Unbelievably making the claim no credible threats exist to the Jewish community after being attacked uh, by Hamas. No, 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 no. The real victims here are the Muslim communities who are now facing a disproportionate threat. Ha! This level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arabs Arab Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And that is something you heard the president speak to in his uh, in his address uh, just last last Thursday. And so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team, uh, uh, Homeland Security team, to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish, the Muslim, uh, Arab Americans or or any other communities. And that is something that the president has sought to do and, and since day one. <laughs> Are you serious? 
how incredibly tone deaf can you be? Because not only is the nation state of Israel under attack by the, the terrorists empowered by Hamas and funded by Haran, but also people here in the United States being attacked. We had a rabbi that was murdered in Michigan. We had a Jewish man attacked in the streets of Chicago. <laughs> So there's your pro-Hamas protesters attacking a Jewish man in the streets, and you have spokespeople like John Kirby who say it would be unconstitutional to send these foreign national students out of the country for not only harassing our citizens, but supporting uh, terrorism abroad. This is absolutely insane. Shameful behavior from uh, the, the Biden administration, from its representatives, who are incredibly tone deaf and blind to the uh, suffering of the Jewish people apparently. Always Muslim community top of mind in the Biden administration when Joe Biden in a Rose Garden speech accidentally gave a compliment or uh, uh, gave a compliment to the Palestinians before he had to uh, uh, correct himself in the same breath. I want to thank the Israeli, uh, the Israelis and the Palestinian, uh, excuse me, and President Sisi of Egypt. Well, this thing is worthless, like my Palestinian alarm clock. Allahu Akbar! 1,400 Jewish people dead. A couple, 200 people, I believe, are uh, currently being held hostage, including nearly two dozen Americans. And the top of mind concern for the administration is the Muslim community. This is absolutely shameful and ridiculous, but par for the course coming from this clown that has been elected to the office of the president and highlighting the need for replacement in the coming election. Of course, other compatriots, not much better. Jamal Bowman finally turning himself in, uh, making a plea deal regarding uh, his pulling of the fire alarm, which is a crime in Washington, D.C., uh, doing so without cause. However, he continues to maintain this was accidental, you see. He didn't know what he was doing, mistook the red fire alarm for a door handle uh, because he was in a rush and he just got confused. A lot of folks want to know why you didn't tell anybody when you pulled it. Yeah, I mean, you remember that day, right? It was like, there was a lot going on. It was the vote to keep the government open. There was a motion to adjourn. So I was just in a rush, man, you know, trying to get down the street. I was actually running to the Capitol at one point. Um, so I was just in a hurry and didn't get a chance to do it. And, you know, yeah, so that was all my bad. Loser, loser. Hey, I've heard this call before. I'll bet you have. Oh, just my bad. I was in a rush, but not so much of a rush, according to footage that has now been released, uh, as not to have the time to take down the signs that were posted on the door telling you it was closed, telling you it was locked, telling you that you couldn't use it. So remove those signs before pulling the fire alarm. This is a lie. He's an insurrectionist. He knew what he was doing. He wanted to disrupt the proceedings of Congress, and he should be pursued uh, to the fullest extent of the law, just like the people on January 6th. Same thing. Um, now, now, Jamal Bowman, of course, unlike the people on January 6th, getting offered some sweetheart plea deals by uh, the judicial system that you would not have access to and, you know, bragging about it. You know, pay the fine. Three months from now, it'll be dismissed, and I'll be able to just continue to serve my district. You mean it'll be dismissed like it'll be expunged from your record? I believe so, yes. That's the deal? Yes, yeah. With Capitol Police? Uh, ACD, the, the, the DCAG. Okay. Yeah. That's your affair. 
a bum. That's what he is, a bum. So when the congressman breaks the law, he, of course, gets it expunged from his record after paying a fine and making an apology, uh, whereas you will spend months behind bars. There we go. Very cool. And it shows the contempt that these representatives have for you because they feel entitled, they feel empowered, they feel that their office places them above you when in fact it makes them subject to you because they're supposed to be the representatives of the people. Um, but Sheila Jackson Lee here, she's cursing out a, a staff member and showing just how elitist she is behind closed doors when she believes the cameras have been turned off and then mistreat staff members, which we know is probably fairly common amongst these congressmen, uh, just to be frank. Uh, make sure to have your uh, finger on the dump button, Producer Gary. I think I deleted everything, uh, but but just in case, this was a profanity-laced rant from Sheila Jackson Lee. You took a piece of paper from that woman uh, regarding uh, something that was owed by Duncan Taylor. Where is it? What, what date was it? All from yesterday. Jerome took it up, sir. I have to call him. He took it up when I switched out the paper. I want you to have a brain. brain. I want you to have read it. I want you to say, Congresswoman, it was such and such days. That's what I want. That's the kind of stamp that I want to have. So some stupid other mother and, and I don't have the information. Nobody sent me the information. I need to uh, ensure my uh, schedule. And, uh, you know, if they Google did it, app did it, face did it. And nobody knows the guy thing in my office. Okay? Nothing. I gave it to you. Your job was to get it on the calendar, imprint it in your brain, or send me the information back saying, Congresswoman, I made sure that the Ovid Duncan Tell event that you gave me uh, for so-and-so date at 7 is on the calendar. Not to oh, Jerome Hansen. Okay? So when I called Jerome, he only sit up there like a fat-ass, stupid idiot talking about uh, what he doesn't know. Okay? Both of y'all are up an F. The worst that I could ever have put together. Two goddamn big ass children. Jerome, what did he do? Can you imagine having to work for such an unpleasant cow? It can't be worth the pay. There's got to be better, better jobs where you have more dignity afforded to you. But, you know, that's that's the contempt congressmen have for their staff. It's certainly the uh, contempt that they feel for you. And don't ever forget it for a moment, um, b because these people are snakes in the grass and they're really only concerned ultimately with their own power and their own prestige. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. More on the way. I don't know if you've heard the news, but South Park has come out with a, another special. This time they're taking shots at Disney and we'll tell you about it up next. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Saturday Night on The Circle, where we're wrapping up things here in the first hour. But don't go anywhere because another hour of content is on the way. And if you've missed a moment, you can catch the podcast uploaded to WIBC.com or Saturday Night on The Circle.fireside.fm. And join us on the YouTube stream while we broadcast in progress, celebrating the return of the Rob Kendall Memorial Camera, which has finally been fixed. The engineering team. They did their duty. They got it functional again. And so you can watch the show as it is happening and hop in the comments, share your thoughts. I always love interacting with listeners while the show is going on and get to highlight. This just came out yesterday. I haven't seen it yet, but I so want to. I might even buckle, uh, buckle down and uh, get get a uh, subscription or a free trial anyway, because I haven't gotten one yet to Paramount Plus just so I can watch the South Park Panderverse special where they set their sights on Disney and why the, the House of Mouse has been sucking for like the last decade, uh, essentially uh, uh, putting the blame squarely on Kathleen Kennedy, who, in a shocking twist, they make Cartman from an alternate universe. Is there a problem, people? No problem at all, Mrs. Kennedy. We were just discussing uh, ideas of what to do with the new Prince Eric movie. Put a chick in it. Make her gay. Uh, yes, Miss Kennedy. Uh, some of the execs are just expressing that maybe... Well, well, that maybe we should go a different route than we did with Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, put a chicken in it. Make her name gay. <laughs> and so the premise of this episode sees our uh, titular characters race and gender swapped, many of them now being played by proud uh, women of color. Um, and at one point, Cart or not Cartman, Kyle questions the logic of this decision only to be blamed by PC principle for you're the one with the problem that's what's been going on in the popular culture and south park as always has their finger on the pulse matt and trey know what they're doing when they poke fun at stuff like this and i really want to see the special um something that they called a number of years ago in uh, the china problem was the influence that that country and the communist party uh, by proxy has on our system of entertainment i don't know if you caught john stewart uh the john Stewart problem that show on Apple uh, has been cut unceremoniously over quote unquote creative differences but it's because Jon Stewart was going to tell the truth about China and they can't have that something that South Park pointed out a few years ago which one of you decided to go and start bad mouthing the Chinese government huh? who here thought they had permission to say anything critical of Chinese politics well, it is true, sir. The Chinese seem to exploit their own people with forced labor. Shut the f*** up, Thor! You're here to flex and not think! Matt Trey know what they're doing. I mean, it literally calling it. And then now, because Jon Stewart in his trademark style of, of finding logical inconsistencies and then pointing them out for abject mockery, um, he has now been unceremoniously fired for doing that to China by Apple. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We got a lot more content to come. Hour two on the way on 93 WIBC.
You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Hour 2 of Saturday Night on the Circle, where we have producer Mark pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. Producer Mark had actually stepped into the recording booth while I was prepping for the show earlier today, and I totally forgot we had missed or we had met before. And, and I forgot about you, man. Isn't that rude as hell? No, I'm sorry. not at all. Not at all. It's, I've been upstairs on the sixth floor for a few years, so. I yeah, out, but I, I feel like I should know all my coworkers, you oh, know, sorry. and I mean, obviously I know of you by by reputation, but uh, but didn't recognize you and I, I felt bad. No problem that. at all. All right. Not, well, no offense taken. We are rolling here on Saturday night on The Circle and uh, wanted to cover the selection of the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson from Louisiana, confirmed in one ballot uh, unanimous support from the Republican caucus on Wednesday afternoon, and we're going to get into to the good, the bad, and the ugly from his speech, starting off, in my opinion, a little weak as he uh, 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 gives undue praise to the outgoing speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and saying the Republican majority is his victory? I want to to, uh, express my great thanks for our speaker emeritus, Kevin McCarthy. Am I so out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong. Kevin has dedicated over two decades of his life to selfless public service, 16 of those years in this house. And you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who loves this institution more or has contributed more to it. He is the reason we're in this majority today. But his whole place sucks. That's right, it sucks. His impact can never be overstated, and I want to thank him for his leadership his friendship and the, the selfless sacrifice that you and Judy have made for so many years. You you helped build it, Kevin, and we owe you a great debt of gratitude. Help build it. Well, I guess he was right about one thing. Uh, he did help build the enormous national debt. He did help bring us to the point where we're nearly $33 trillion uh, in debt. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess Kevin McCarthy did help build that. He also had a moment where he thanked his wife uh, uh, for her support during uh, the selection process. I want to thank my dedicated wife of almost 25 years, Kelly. She's not here. We couldn't get a flight in time. This happened sort of suddenly. (laughs) But but we're going to celebrate uh, soon. She spent the last uh, couple of weeks on her knees, and um, she's a little worn out. We all are. Whoa, you know, save that for later there, Congressman. Anyway, um, also continuing um, with one of his beliefs that he thinks the congressman, including himself, have been positioned there personally by the hand of God. I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in that room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear. That, that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. This is my belief. Well, my belief as an atheist is that um, the idea 
that what's going on in the world or Congress is purposeful is far more frightening than the idea this is all by accident. The idea that God personally put into position people like Sheila Jackson Lee. Remember this from last hour? Your job was to get it on the calendar, imprint it in your brain, or send me the information back saying, Congresswoman, I made sure that the Ovi Duncan Tell event that you gave me uh, for so-and-so date at 7 is on the calendar. Not to old Jerome Hampton. Okay? So when I called Jerome, he only sitting up there like a fat-ass, stupid idiot talking about uh, what he doesn't know. Okay? Both of y'all are up an F. Wow, yikes. Now, uh, talk about, I see, I think that it is a mistake representatives like Sheila Jackson Lee are in the position that they are, uh, you know, a, a, a product of chance and good fortune, um, but, at least for her. But Mike Johnson believes that God has personally ordained such representatives, that this is on purpose, that he is empowering them to be in position in Congress. That I find to be infinitely more frightening than the fact uh, poor a few misinformed voters continue to uh, vote her into office. Like the idea that it is purposeful, I think is insane and frightening. But of course, uh, Mike Johnson entitled to his beliefs as we all are. Isn't it wonderful that we live in a free country? Um, now, he did have a couple rousing moments, good points, uh, where he brought the attention where it needs to be focused on the national debt, on the profligate spending, and reining that in under control, not only for the, the sake of the economy currently, but for the sake of the economy in the future, for our children, for our grandchildren, for the country that has yet to come. And it's important that we get this under control now. We have to bring relief to the American people by reining in federal spending and bringing down inflation. The, the greatest threat to our national security is our nation's debt. And while we've been sitting in this room, that's right, the, the debt has crossed almost $33.6 trillion. And the time that it's going to take me to, to deliver this speech will go up another $20 million in debt. It's unsustainable. We have to get the country back on track. Now, we know this is not going to be an easy task, and tough decisions will have to be made. But the consequences, if we don't act now, are unbearable. He said it! He said it! Yeah, yeah, there it is! There it is! Can't argue with those sentiments. I agree wholeheartedly. It's important, it's imperative, not only now, but for the future of our country to rein in the out-of-control spending, whether or not Mike Johnson will actually see it through remains to be seen. I am cautiously optimistic. He comes from a rather conservative stock in uh, the Louisiana legislature. He follows in a tradition of strong conservatives, but will he err more on the side of fiscal conservatism or social conservatism, uh, giving his prelude about uh, being ordinated by God? I question, you know, um, I would like a return to fiscal conservatism. I would like a return to the, the principles of uh, responsible spending, a limited government, low taxation, individual responsibilities that have been the governing principle of our nation since its founding. And those sentiments were echoed by Mike Johnson, where he talked about what he believes to be the seven tenants, the seven main principles of conservatism. And I thought he made a rather good point toward the end of his speech. I call them the seven core principles of American conservatism. But let me concede to you all, I think it's really quintessentially the core principles of our nation. I boil them down to individual freedom, limited government, 
the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. Those, those are the foundations that made us the extraordinary nation that we are. And you and I today are the stewards of those principles, the things that have made us the freest, most powerful, most successful nation in the history of the world, the things that have made us truly exceptional. And if those are the principles that Mike Johnson lives by during his speakership, well, then I look forward to it. And you, young Skywalker, we will watch your career with great interest. And I hope that he lives up to those principles, to those values, and and does the American people proud um, and, and returns some sanity to the leadership of the Republican Party. Remains to be seen. Thanks for listening to 93 WIBC. Up next, Rob Kendall comes into the studio, and we're going to reflect on what transpired uh, during the mayor's debates last week, plus recap the House Speaker election. Don't miss a moment of 93 WIBC. Rob Kendall, up next. Saturday night on the circle on 93 WIPC. On the circle. I'm Ethan Hatcher, your square peg in this round world. Don't miss the podcast uploaded to Saturday Night on the Circle.fireside.fm and WIBC.com. We're celebrating the return of the Rob Kendall Memorial Camera. Yeah! And you can watch the show in progress on the YouTube stream. This week, Indianapolis endured two of the most upsetting political displays in recent memory, where two candidates battled a lie, disgrace themselves, and insult you, the Marion County voter, on broadcast television for two hours across two vomit-inducing nights of what can barely be described as political debate. Nationally, however, at least Republicans got their act together and finally elected a new House Speaker. Here to help recoil and disgust at these worthless political hacks is the local Defender of Liberty, all-American favorite son of Brownsburg, and one half of the Kendall and KC show, the provocateur extraordinaire Rob Kendall joins us once again. Ethan, uh, hello. You are a Marion County resident, correct? I live here, yes. Yeah. I am uh, intimately invested yeah. in the outcome of this election. However, sadly, the candidates are worthless. Okay, so I'm going to just ask you a very direct question, and you can answer this however you'd like. There is no right or wrong answer. Sure. I assume, I'm going to take a leap here, you are not voting for Joe Hogsett. No, under no circumstances would I endorse him as a a candidate for mayor. All right, so the question is, are you going to vote for Jefferson Shreve? I can't. Yeah, I can't. Rob. I'm with you, brother. I want I'm with to. You. I want to. And 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 here's the thing: when he was running those ads, I am responsible. From you know Joe Fox yeah. said that re- there's a really good ad. If he would have led with that, that was the message we needed to hear. But and I was getting ready to start feeling bad yeah. for standing on principle and marching into that voting booth and putting in a write-in candidate for Abdul Shabazz. Yeah. Um. You know, am I really going to do this? Stand on principle and you know ensure a hog's not victory. But here was the turning point for me, and it came before uh. the debates, which were also shameful, yeah. but when he said, I would prevent the Hamas protesters from assembling on public ground if I were... Ma- wow. Game over, man. You don't understand the First Amendment, you don't understand yeah. the Second Amendment, and you don't understand how the mayor's office functions. You can't be mayor. Plus, he's spineless. 
I mean, the display and the debates was absolutely shameful where he refused to call Hogsett on his lies, which were also disgusting. I mean, the, the claims that were made the first night was frustrating enough, but the second night I was screaming at the TV. I was absolutely infuriated. Did you catch the moment where Hogsett tried to claim that the call of calling off the police on the first night of the riots improved the situation? Yeah. He all- oh, my God. So, okay. And, and I love your passion for this. And I can't imagine being the position that you're in where you you have to make this terrible choice of whether you can vote for this I can't, idi- I can't. idiot running on the Republican side. <laughs> I can't do it, though. So, so, so think about this. So everybody knows Joe Hawks that won't tell you where he was during the riots. There's not been a three and a half years. There's not been a single tangible piece of evidence that has surfaced phone calls, emails, uh, you know, text messages. No one has been able to step forth and say, I was in constant contact with Joe Hawks. Well, he said he was at the city county building for most of the weekend. Well, it's just that. Yeah. The first. <laughs> The, the, no one, no one has any idea where Joe Hogsett was the first night of the riots. So, so he gets up on stage with with uh, with Phil Sanchez on on Monday night with with Shreve. Phil does his job as a journalist, asks the right question, which we knew Phil would do the right thing, which is where were you during the riots? Mm-hmm. He gives this blatant lie of an answer in which he tries to claim it's in this report that he commissioned. It's clearly not for anybody who's read the report. Shreve either hasn't read the report, which is super lazy on his part, or is just too big of a coward to call him out on it and let him get away with it then gets a total gift from deborah daniels who's a former u.s attorney former assistant attorney general mitch daniels sister adam wren from importantville gets this leaked email from debbie daniels saying look i did the report and there ain't nothing in that report about where, where hogsett was during the riots on friday because we don't know and shreve gets another opportunity to beat him around like a pinball machine and just lets him skate on it again well he's spineless he's completely spineless did you catch the moment where he he had to get permission from the moderator to finish his thought. It went ding, ding, and he stopped immediately, <laughs> mid-sentence, and the moderators are like, well, oh, okay, no grandstanding, but you can finish your thought, sir. He's like, oh, okay. I mean, so not only was he not calling Hogsnot on his bullpucky, but he didn't even have the temerity to finish his talking points. This, is this super- guy, he can't be He can't be mayor. I, I, I want to vote for the Republican, yeah, Rob. I, I so want to, but I can't. I can't do it. I, and so this is interesting. You'll this, Ethan. I had a, there are a couple people that I'm actually friends with personally. I think they hate me politically, but I'm ah. actually friends with personally in, in and around Shreve's campaign. And Friday morning, uh, this person was sending me messages about some ridiculous answer Hogsett gave during the, the debate Thursday night. And I just said, why does Shreve just let him go? And they're like, well, what do you mean? He pushed back on this. I said, no, you guys don't understand the perception, at least from our audience, about how underwhelming Jefferson Shreve is as a candidate. Now he has no passion. They kept like fighting me on this. And I'm like, you guys are just going to have to find out on election day what people actually think about this guy because you're not listening. And if you think he did a good job in those debates, I what? am just, I, I, I am speechless. So you, you, maybe you can help me figure this out, Rob, because I'm really stumped what Shreve was hoping to accomplish here because you'd think by essentially self-financing this campaign and throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars down the toilet, you would have some kind of principle or vision or idea that you want to stand on and promote, but Shreve hasn't even figured it out and we're weeks away from election day. Here, here, Early voting's already started. Here's what I've Determined, Ethan, and you can tell me if this is crazy or not, but this is what I've determined where Shreve is with this campaign. We think, we don't know for sure, 
but we think Shreve may be worth a billion dollars, like billion with a B. He half, put, a bi- half a billion. Well, here, oh, I thought that too, but he told me when he came in one time that he had these other companies that he still runs. Oh. So if he got a half billion for one company, or almost that, think if oh. these other companies are worth anywhere near that. The guy, it doesn't matter whether he's worth 700 million, 500 million, uh, a billion, whatever. He's super, he's super rich. He's in the 1%. So let's say he lost 14 million. He doesn't have any kids. I think, I think he, you know, doesn't have a, as far as I'm aware, like a bunch of super uh, expensive hobbies. So him losing 14, 14 million, it's like the other night there was a Bills Buccaneers football game and I had a four leg parlay. I had checked the other three boxes. At the end of the game, the Buccaneers scored a garbage touchdown and decided for some unknown reason, even though it didn't matter to go for two point conversion, they got it and it screwed my parlay. I am momentarily angry that I lost three dollars and then I just went about the rest of my day and chuckled that that's how I lost the bet. Maybe that stream is so rich that losing fourteen million. Maybe that's how he looks. I was like, well, if I won, it would have been great. But ah, well, you know, whatever. It's, it's just fourteen million bucks. That's pocket change. Uh, it's the only thing I can come up with how you could spend fourteen million dollars and then be on a debate stage with the guy who you have the key issue on your side that he has no answer for, and you look like you're miserable and you're more passionate about the animal shelter and the food <laughs> deserts than you are the crime and violence. Well, I only have one response to that. I need more rich friends. Right? Well, you do, right? That's what I've said for a long time. We're trying to, to be Leon Copeland or whatever that guy's name name was who's mad about uh, all that money that he gave to the Ivy League school. We thought maybe he'll be our rich friend. Now, I don't know. I don't know, Ethan. It's terribly disappointing. Hawksett's going to win and Shreve's going to look around the next day and be like, what did I spend my money on? You're listening to 93 WIBC Saturday night on The Circle. Ethan Hatcher and the tremendous talent of Rob Kendall on the airwaves. Before we end the segment, however, I wanted to get your input on the House Speaker debacle uh, with the election uh, now confirmation of Mike Johnson as the new speaker. Okay, so here is what I am most interested in because I assume Mike Johnson will totally let me down and will not follow through and will not get spending under control. Right. I'm operating from that premise. Okay. However, my question to Jim Banks and professional office hopper Aaron Houchin and Larry Bouchon and Mike Pence and the rest of these people who for three weeks were having an aneurysm over what sort of condition Matt Gates threw the country into... Are they now willing to apologize? Because they've all said how great Mike Johnson is. And say, you know what? It turns out Matt Gates was right. Or are they going to stand behind Kevin McCarthy was a better choice than Mike Johnson and we're Team Kevin McCarthy? Because these people behaved like petulant little children for the past three weeks. And it turned out, I guess they say Mike Johnson is such a great guy that it worked out. So are they willing to apologize for Matt to Matt Gates for all the things they said about him? Well, Rob, whether or not Matt jo- uh, uh, Johnson is a better speaker than Kevin McCarthy remains to be seen. Um, I, I, I think that's that's incredible to gamble on. Um, that that he's actually a better pick, but whatever the case, it, this debacle made the Republican Party look incredibly stupid. And well, they are incredibly stupid. It yeah, but we don't want to be looking incredibly stupid well, before an incredibly important election. What's year, this? Rob. What's this? We stuff, Ethan. I thought you were an independent thinker. I think all these people should look exactly as they are. It showed you what they are, though, which is they believe in their own self-importance. Ethan, did your life change at all in the three weeks we didn't have a Speaker of the House? No. If anything, it got more entertaining. Exactly. My life. <laughs> <laughs> didn't change either, but to these people, the banks and the Bouchons and the professional office hopper, Aaron Houchin, they're so important, and what they do in the House is so important that, Ethan, you couldn't possibly live live your life without a Speaker of the House, and clearly we proved you can. They're not needed. They're not necessary. I'm disappointed this happened, because I was hoping for six months without a Speaker, so we could see, really, how little we actually miss the House of Representatives. <laughs> what do you think is kind of going to come of the impeachment inquiry now that Johnson is ha- ahead of the Speaker? I think they will move forward with it the same way the 
Indiana Republican Party moves forward on social issues, not because they genuinely believe in things like life. I think some of them do, but I think a lot of the social issues in Indiana are done to distract from the spending. I think the Republicans will, in, in Washington, like the Republicans here, will move forward with the Biden impeachment to distract from the fact that they are not going to get spending under control and hope that appeases and distracts enough people. Let's just say I'm cautiously optimistic, although somewhat concerned, considering Lauren Boebert was standing next to him, grinning ear to ear, but, and she's kind of a dork, so anybody that she endorses, you got a question to a certain... To a and I, I know we got to go, but here's, here is why I would give you pause on any sort of optimism. Mike Johnson was asked about Ukraine, and he came out in favor of giving Ukraine more money. Oh, However, okay. now now he wants to know where the money's going, and it like, I don't know, audit or whatever word he used, but it's like, think about this. The Republicans who ran on getting spending under control have been in control for nine months, and just now we're beginning to talk about figuring out where the money's going and having some sort of institutional control on the money. Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution rests. Business as usual. Rob Kendall, you're a treasure. You're a skinny, good-looking guy, Ethan. Ladies, get a get a hunk of this man meat right here. Saturday night on The Circle, 93 WIBC. Stay tuned for more. And then I see a darkness. And then I see a darkness. And then I You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIBC. Did you know how much I Welcome back to 93 WIBC. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Gary, pushing the buttons and making the show function. If you missed a moment, catch the podcast uploaded to WIBC.com, Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm, and celebrating the return of the Rob Kendall Memorial Camera, you can watch the feed live on the YouTube and hop in the comments, let your thoughts be known. Uh, I love interacting with the listeners while the show is going on. This segment, we're going to cover the disastrous consequences of Biden's poor foreign policy, which has resulted in not only broader instability of the Middle East, but attacks specifically on American troops. We saw in the withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan, the attack on the airport at Kabul, and now following the attack of Hamas on Israel uh, in the region of Syria, Iranian-backed airstrikes have been led or uh, drone strikes against uh, U.S. troops have been led and now we're retaliating. Um, But the point is that the Biden administration responsible for the deterioration of the situation in the Middle East because they have been funding Iran through their policy decisions and through the release of like the six billion dollars for the uh, uh, hostage transfer. Um, Now, John Kirby spokesman for the White House, acknowledging that the White House understands fundraising for Iran means endangering United States lives. But what about Iran? What Everyone always talks about the Iran factor and Iran being a part of this. And now we're hearing about factors, sectors in Iran attacking our troops in other countries. What about Iran? What's being done? Not 
there's no question, Mika, that uh, Iran has complicity here across the board. They've been supporting groups like Hamas and Hezbollah for years. They're supporting these militia groups in Iraq and Syria that have attacked our troops in in recent days. Uh, and that's what the direction and facility facilitation of the uh, of the IRGC. So-, so I don't know what else I'm supposed to conclude other than the Biden administration fully understands what they're doing and dangers lives because the spokesperson is laying it out plain as day. They understand Iran is complicit in attacks led against Israel and the American people. So when you release billions of dollars to Iran going in, understanding those funds will be used to attack America, then... I guess that would make you complicit in those. Like, I don't know what other way that I would supposed to be interpreting these things. Um, Joe Biden, of course, saying that the reason Hamas attacked is not because of the instability caused by his weakness, but oh, no, 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 because of the quote unquote progress that the Biden administration has made in uh, securing peace in the region. Ha! But yes, he did make that claim with a straight face. Here was uh, here. Here was the clip. I'm convinced one of the reasons Hamas attacked when they did. And I have no proof of this. Just my instinct tells me is because of the progress we were making towards regional integration for Israel <laughs> and regional integration overall. And we can't leave that work behind. And one more word on this. I continue to be alarmed about extremist settlers attacking Palestinians in the West Bank. jokes were bad. So Biden claiming Hamas attacked because they wanted to destabilize the peace that Biden had created in the region, which couldn't be further from the truth, you know, the honest to God's truth. Donald Trump made huge progress, huge strides in Middle East peace, which was a big surprise, big shock. I didn't expect when he sent a son-in-law, Jared Kushner, overseas to secure Middle Eastern peace deals that he would come back with one, let alone three peace deals, including with Jordan, United Arab Emirates, and and, uh, one other partner there in the Middle East. But that that was actual tangible progress diplomatically that had been made in the Trump administration, which was quickly undone by the policy decisions and weakness projected by the Biden administration. He invited the attack on Ukraine, for God's sake, something that was noted in the moment by reporters who questioned, did you just invite an attack from Russia? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. Oops, that's what it sounded like weeks later then, or less than a week later, I think, of Russia attacking the Ukraine. Biden projects weakness. Hamas understands that. Hamas, Hamas, I don't think, would have chosen to attack Israel in the manner and ferocity they did were Trump still uh, president because they understand Trump would have turned them into glass without a second thought. Like, that's just the kind of president that Trump was, for better or for worse. But he projected strength in the Middle East, which kept some of those crazy people off the backs of Israel. And Kareem Jean-Pierre, oh, White House press secretary doesn't understand the geopolitical connection between U.S. policy decisions and the Middle East. Uh, Here was a reporter having a conversation with the press secretary and trying to walk her through the connection of U.S. energy policy with uh, the enrichment of Iran and endangerment of United States and Israeli lives. Here was the moment caught on tape. I ask you about um, current energy prices and Iran, if I could. Um, 
so Iran makes 70% of its revenue from oil. Um, it's doubled that oil output since 2019, adding $40 billion to revenues. So are the president's current energy policies giving Iran enough money to fund terror groups? Because the price, well, the price of oil has gone up under this president. Uh, the former President Trump, the pr average price of Brent oil was $58. Um, under this president, it's $83 a barrel. So the price of oil is more. Um, is that giving Iran enough money to fund these terror groups in the Middle East? I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly disagree that we're, we're, you know, we're, our actions are giving. Is that what you're saying? Can you say that again? The current energy policies in the U.S. From, from our from, energy from, policies. Yeah. It's seen the price of oil go up because okay. when you when you restrict um, supply here in the United States, it's forcing get, to get the global supply from somewhere else. OPEC is cutting prices of oil, so the price of oil goes up. Yeah, and we're not part of OPEC, as you right. know. Right, right. So they're going to make their decisions on on whatever they decide. We are not a member of OPEC. Well, the administration has decided to regulate the oil industry here in the U.S. and restrict investment, uh, future investment in the oil supply in the U.S. And and so is, is as the price of oil goes up, is that giving Iran enough money? to fund these terror groups. It seems to be a big jump, uh, and so uh, certainly I'm not going to speak into that type of hypothetical. It sounds like a hypothetical that you're asking me, so certainly I'm not going to weigh, in, weigh into this. I'm just not going to weigh into uh, weigh into a hypothetical here. Go ahead, Phil. It's not a hypothetical. It's that the press secretary is refusing to see the connection that exists between domestic energy policy and destabilizing the Middle East by enriching bad actors. The way that you you attack Iran where it hurts is through their pocketbook, through energy production and reliance on you United States energy assets by expanding our oil production. That was how the Soviet Union was ultimately defeated economically, not through military conflict, not through diplomacy, but by weakening their trade and then ultimately the empire collapsed from within. And similarly, we could do that with Iran by expanding United States oil production, but the administration doesn't want to do that because of ideal logical reasons and those policy positions have broader consequences around the globe, something that the press secretary is refusing to see evidence of. John Kirby um, also uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, these Hamas protesters, uh, particularly foreigners, uh, illegal aliens, uh, people with visas or students participating in anti-Israeli protests um, and and supporting the violence uh, of Hamas on citizens. Now, while, of course, American citizens are protected by First Amendment rights in the Constitution, foreign nationals are not. And if you support at, uh, the enemies of America, if you support... Uh, the the attacks of uh, uh, against our allies, then you know I think it is possible that you should uh, you should be deported, you should be removed um, because we don't need that kind of uh, uh, poisonous ideology in the United States. And if you're not a citizen, you don't get the constitutional protections. Uh, John Kirby, on the other hand, feels that they do, and that you shouldn't root out that kind of anti-Semitic hatred if you have the opportunity. There's been an uptick. Um, on the right among some Republicans who have called for um, students or foreign nationals who are demonstrating uh, in some of these pro-Palestine demonstrations or, you know, allegedly pro-Hamas demonstrations to have their student visas pulled or to face deportation. What is the administration's remark, uh, response to those kinds of remarks and that kind of rhetoric? I would just tell you, I would just tell you, you don't have to agree with every sentiment that's expressed in a free country like this uh, to um, 
to stand by the the, the idea the first amendment and the idea of peaceful protest i'll leave it at that and there's been an uptick Okay, so but when you control the borders, you do have the right to keep poisonous sentiments like that out. And that's just more evidence of why you need to have a a strong border policy and control over uh, who is allowed into the country Um, because we, we don't need to have poisonous ideologies like that invited in. Anyway, thanks for listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. We got enough problems here already without inviting more trouble. Thanks for listening to the show. One more segment on the way. A new addition to businesses on the north side. An unusual proposal that I'll tell you more about in the next segment. Stay tuned. My is to with you. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. At the end of the day. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen, coasting things to a close here on a Saturday evening. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, producer Gary, pushing the buttons and helping us bring the program to its natural end. I wanted to cover a new watering hole, which has been added to the business pantheon of the north side over on 116th Street in the Nickel District of Fishers, Um, the Nickel Plate District, I should say, there in Fishers, a location called the Memento Zero Proof Lounge, founded by Max Gavin and Schwa Hall. Now, the Zero Proof Lounge, as its name may imply, is Indiana's first alcohol-free Bar, it's a, a sober bar. I I don't understand. A bar without alcohol is like a brothel without prostitutes. So, like, what what would you zero proof bar? We just call that like Applebee's. We call that Chi-Chi's. We call that going to a restaurant and not ordering a drink. I do. I, I, what are they going to be doing here? Are they going to be doing like uh, uh, the suicide, as it was called? Uh, me and my friends, when we used to go to the Chinese restaurant, uh, you know, you'd go to the soda fountain and then you'd fill your glass up with all the different so- sodas. You know, it was called it was called a suicide. So what are they going to be doing that at the Zero Proof Lounge? Are they just going to be mixing around a bunch of sugary drinks without the, the benefit of booze? And then do you serve sides? What would be the point in congregating to such a location? I thought the whole point of a bar was the alcohol. And there are other social activities which one can engage in alcohol free. I, I understand if you need to be sober. In fact, one of the uh, the owners of this establishment is three years sober himself after battling with uh, alcohol uh, misuse and uh, having family troubles that were caused by it. So, yeah, you need a place for you and the guys to hang out. It's like the bowling alley. You know, like the movie theater, like a restaurant, not whatever. It's a free country. I just I am a little bit perplexed by the proposition of this business. Gary, do you did you understand this? Is this some place that you would frequent? Are you uh, on the, the sober train, if you don't mind sharing? Well, I don't see a problem with it. I am. Well, there's, uh, I guess not a problem. Yeah, I'm a bowler. So you mentioned bowling and uh, I go there a couple times a week without any trouble. So um I don't see anything wrong with it. Right. Okay. So, uh, I mean, but 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 that's the thing, though. Like, bowling is already your alcohol-free alternative social activity. You know, like, a, I, ju- I just don't understand the concept of an alcohol-free bar other than it already exists in some forms, like going to regular restaurants like, your, you know, your Chi-Chi's, like your Olive Garden, usually booze-free experiences. 
as, as far as I know. So I don't know. Wish them all the luck in the world, though. I guess they are uh, providing this as an alternative, and they seem to believe that it is a needed service in the community, um, that there are uh, a lack of of alcohol-free establishments for people to congregate and socialize in, and that is a niche they are trying to fill. Again, I think it's a little perplexing. Alcohol-free bar is like a uh, brothel without prostitutes, but, uh, you know, there you have it. It's uh, Indiana's first and possibly only sober bar set to open in Fishers this weekend. So they're already uh, they're already opening and possibly serving their first customers. Maybe I'll maybe I'll check it out sometime on an al- alcohol-free weekend with my friends. Another story I uh, wanted to cover, a Danish artist. This happened all the way back in 2021, but we now have a resolution uh, to his dispute with a museum which had commissioned him to create a piece. This artist had put roughly 70,000 dollars worth of Danish currency on a canvas to illustrate the annual income of its average citizen there. And the museum was so captivated by this piece that they gave him an additional $76,000 in cash, commissioning him to create the work again for inclusion in their collection. However, upon delivery of this artistic endeavor, they found the canvases were empty. The artistic piece titled take the money and run. Well, the staff of the museum were none too amused by uh, that shenanigan and chose to sue the artist as they should uh, for recompensation and remuneration for their lost assets. Uh, finally, fast forward about two and a half years down the road, now the, the justices uh, in uh, the Netherlands making the rule that uh, th- this artist is on the hook. Not only does he have to renew the museum for all $76,000 of currency that he took unjustly, but he's also on the hook for an additional 11000 of legal fees. So <laughs> I think that is a fitting end to the situation. And look, a lot of these knucklehead, pretentious modern artists in particular that pull crap like that, they're selling those pieces for a few million dollars a piece. You know, because uh, they're involved in money laundering, the, the mafia needs to wa- wash those assets, and so they buy uh, speculative art pieces at grossly overinflated prices to uh, legitimize the cash flow. Um, and, and look, anyway, at the end of the day, I'm sure he has the eleven thousand uh, laying around in order to facilitate that compensation. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have on the show. As usual, it's been a blast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I, I had fun joining you in the chat on the YouTube feed as always. Producer Gary doing an excellent job and thank you uh, producer uh, Mark for coming in and helping make the show run smoothly and everything flow as it should. That is all the time we have ladies and gentlemen and so I leave you with my parting words of wisdom wherever you are, whatever you're doing whoever you're with, remember that life is a state of mind and I'll see you next week on 93 WIBC (laughs) 